Alright everybody, welcome to another episode of Tunes Mate, episode 46. I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. Ray, this week, had an opportunity to catch up with the band Laney Lou and the Bird Dogs. And Mike Farley, once again, gave a great band that dropped into our lap. And they are definitely out of the kind of folk rock Americana, mm-hmm. I guess, category. And had an opportunity to sit down with Lena, who is one of the lead singers. I always find that fascinating, you know, bands that have more than one one lead singer if you mm-hmm. think about it i mean journey they had it until uh, greg raleigh left and mike and mechanics mm-hmm. there's a couple others though i mean a lot of bands i mean the grateful dead had a couple lead singers as well it always just blows my mind yeah it kind of it it allows for some more diversity right usually when you've got two lead singers you've got two sounds that are different and that allows you to do different kinds of things because if you've got one voice and you've got, you know, say, you know, talking Journey, for instance, you know, Steve Perry's got a, I mean, he had a distinctive voice and there were certain types of things that there's certain sound that was going to come. And when you have somebody else, you've got this other sound that can come in. And so um, it's, it's always kind of a, a nice thing to have to have um, more than one person who can who can take the lead because it, it really allows you to stretch uh, your sound a bit. Yeah, and I think a lot about, you know, I, I brought it up in the interview. I said, well, you know, how do you figure out who sings what? And, right. you know, her reply was, well, we all bring songs in and generally the ones we bring in are the ones we sing. However, that's not mm-hmm. always the case. You know, there's songs where one of the lead singers said, well, actually, this other singer actually sounds better on it. And it started me thinking about like Mike and the Mechanics. I know we love Mike and the Mechanics. It makes us yep. go back to our, our dorm days. And that always fascinated me. I mean, there was Paul Young and Paul Carrick. And yep. you think about the song, like Living Years. How would Paul Young sing that song? Yeah, it would have a, it would have a real different feel. And or I think of uh, All I Need is a Miracle. Paul Carrick on that would sound very different. And yeah, it, it, it really gets you thinking. And, you know, that, that kind of speaks to, I think, the sense of, like, you got to drop the ego sometimes, right? So like, like you said, she says that, you know, a lot of times if you bring the song in, you then sing it, but that doesn't always happen. And it means being willing to say, you know, yeah, I wrote this song and I like what I do with it, but I can clearly recognize that the sound that somebody else brings to singing it makes for something better might be the right word or just add something that we like, that we want. And so therefore that willingness to, to kind of give it up. Cause sometimes that's hard to do. I mean, you, you know, you, you got the song, you wrote it, you, you sing it and now I got to give it up. And so, you know, that it speaks to the, the willingness to collaborate and the willingness to, to put ego aside when it's useful to do so. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's for the band. It's for the mm-hmm. the longevity of the band. Yeah. And the only band I can think of where all members were lead singers are the Beatles. Is that the only band? Is that true? Because <laughs> they all sang at least one song on an album. Yeah, I don't know if that they're the only ones or not. I really, you know, I'd have to sit and think about it and I'm not quite I haven't really thought about it. But yeah, I mean that was one thing, right? On with the Beatles, everybody sang. And they all went on to have 
solo careers where they sang. You know, the Beatles are a, a complicated example because in the end, their artistic differences drove them apart, too. You know, that they, they weren't, in the end, willing to put the band first. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I know. I've read a lot of autobiographies on the Beatles, and you hit that on the mark there. <laughs> well, this interview definitely was interesting. It was great catching up with Lena, and hope you enjoy it. As we'll jump into it, when we come back after the break, we'll wrap it up. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Tunes Mate. And I have the honor of being joined by Lena from Laney Lou and the Bird Dogs. How are you? I'm doing great. Awesome. Well, thank you for, so much for joining the podcast. And I recently discovered you music, and I saw that you just released an album earlier this year. And is it true that it was inspired by the pandemic? <laughs> um, you know, I think to record this album, which we called Through the Smoke, it was inevitably going to have some music on there that was inspired by the pandemic. Uh, we had a lot of time on our hands, as you can imagine, to write some songs. <laughs> but there are actually quite a few that had been written before the pandemic. And Honestly, I think when people hear them, they might be like, oh, that was definitely written during COVID times, but they weren't. They're just kind of normal songs about strife and struggle and going through hard times. So it kind of works across the board. Yeah. I mean, I, it was, you know, I listened to the new album a few times and I noticed that you started off with Highline. Was there a reason why you picked that song and how did that song come together? Hmm. So that one was written a couple years ago, and um, I think we chose to start with it because it's sort of a more uplifting, happier tune that I wrote when I was driving up on what we call the High Line, which is um, a stretch of highway. It's actually U.S. Highway 2, and it parallels the BNSF Railroad right along the border of Montana and Canada. And it's called the High Line. And it's um, just big, expansive, blue, big sky country, like Montana is known for. And these tiny little towns you pop through as you drive along it. And um, I wrote it when I was driving to meet my partner, Ryan, who we were dating. I was dating him long distance and just had a whole lot of time to think while I was doing that drive and was following along a train and things were kind of moving slow as I was waiting to meet him. And it just inspired this sort of like happy, but also longing song and seemed like a nice one to start with, with that whole driving momentum that the song has. It's not in your face fast, but it's not slow and it's got a pretty positive message. So <laughs> that sort of just seemed like a good theme to start the album with before we got deep and dark. <laughs> Yeah, it's always interesting that first track, the choice behind it. Yeah. And you talked about your kind of your music creation. Is that how most of your music is? Are you just inspired on the spot and it just kind of hits you? Wow. Um, you know, for me, I would say that is a lot of how it happens when I write a song. But there are four of us out of the five bandmates that tend to bring the written material and we're all a little different. I definitely write from specific experiences that I've had. Josh is more of a storyteller. He, you know, he wrote Black Crow and Bootleg, which are definitely narrative stories. And so, you know, for me, definitely the inspiration comes from specific instances that happened, but not not all of us follow that model. Yeah, let's talk about that. So you're on lead vocals sometimes. <laughs> 
Then we have Matt, because Matt has listed his vocals too. So is Josh. And then you've got Ethan and Brian. It looks like Ethan's doing bass. Brian's on, you know, fiddle, mandolin, harmonica. Are there two vocalists or is there three vocalists? How does that work out? How do you choose who's going to sing? (laughs) We are very complicated with it. Um, And if you don't know us, it would definitely be hard to know who's singing. But other than me, of course, being the only female. But um, four of us actually sing lead on the album. Um, and we all, yeah, it is interesting. So Matt, who is our banjo player, he sings on Ball and Chain, Paradise and Alive. And Brian sings Burn It Down and Josh sings Bootleg and Black Crow. And, and then I sing the the rest of them. Um, I would typically say that we sing the songs we've written. But the exception to that rule is that Brian actually wrote the tune Paradise and thought that Matt's vocals sounded better. They're a little grittier and kind of feel the vibe of the song a little more. So Matt ended up taking over vocal lead for that tune. That's always fascinating. I was thinking about it. Yeah, as you described that, you talked about the gritty and being a music fan. So, for example, in Journey, there was Greg Raleigh and then Steve Perry took over at some point and then. Greg, I think Greg left. And then I also think about like Mike and Mechanics. They had two lead singers and they would, you kind of figure out who sounded best on the track when they're doing that. So that's interesting how you embrace that same kind of methodology. Yeah. It's, yeah. Sometimes I wonder how fans feel about it, but honestly, it just, you know, I don't know that I would sound great singing Josh's tunes and I don't know if he would sound great singing mine. So we just kind of, you know, we just, you definitely do figure out who sounds best on it, but I would say typically if I'm sitting down with my guitar, I'm going to write something in a key that I feel comfortable singing and, you know, I'm going to choose a melody that feels intuitive to my style. So that's sort of how it happens, I would say, you know, I just tend to write the ones or sing the ones that I've written. I mean, going through the album, definitely, obviously, as you said, I mean, I could tell which ones you sang. And then the last song, Alive, I mean, you just mentioned, I think you said, was it Matt that Matt. sang that one? Yep. Yeah. And that was interesting. I mean, I hit that track and I, I thought, wow, that's a really interesting way to end too, because <laughs> it, it kind of had a similar feeling of Highline. Mm-hmm. And I felt, was that a choice as well to choose that song as the last track? Yeah, Absolutely. That song, Alive, is very much about, um, well, it's sort of an anthemic type tune. Like it really, people sing along to that song, even if it's the first time they've ever heard it, which is great. They sing the big chorus, ain't nobody going to make it out alive. Um, Ain't no matter how hard you try, you know, ain't nobody going to make it out alive. So it's really about like taking the time you have on earth and using it wisely and it was written before the pandemic, but it felt like no better time to really realize and cherish what you have here on earth and just kind of forget about all of the chaos and try not to drown with all the excess things that we add in our culture. And it's just about, you know, making the most of your life and I think as musicians, we are looked at sometimes as just doing this crazy thing that's so unstable. And it's like, how can you tour and how can you do this crazy life? But man, we have a great life. (laughs) And it's sort of that sort of felt like a good way to punctuate the end of the album. (laughs) 
Yeah, I didn't even mention reeling. I mean, that one caught me too. And I know that you've obviously your vocals on that, but mm-hmm. that was right smack in the middle. It kind of felt um, appropriate too. It was very, it made me reflect very much like the last song. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that tune was written in June 20, gosh, was it 2020? Um, so that one was very. <laughs> we were living some chaotic times in the United States, that's for sure, around that time that I wrote it. And something that I love about that song so far is it's being received by people in very many, like, very different ways. Like, I don't know that I'll ever tell anyone what I meant by that song. <laughs> um, because I really like that it's one that can be interpreted in a bunch of different ways. So I've had fans come up to me and say, oh my gosh, that song meant so much to me this year because of this, this, and this. And I'm like, that's great. You know, it really, yeah, it makes me happy to know that I'm connecting with people. It sounds like you're pulling a Carly Simon there. You're going to hold back the the (laughs) meeting, let someone (laughs) interpret himself. Maybe maybe years in the future, we'll hear. (laughs) Oh, totally. Some songs I have no problem you know, divulging what it's about, but that one just feels close to me. And so I, I would prefer yeah. people to just, you know, have their own story. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like, there's a lot of songs like that. I think we, as music listeners, we zero in on and make it our own. And I think that's important. And that's, that's what Tunes Made is all about is we find that we get stuck listening to the same music over and over, you know, that classic rock channel mm-hmm. or, you know, that, that country song you just can't turn off and we're constantly trying to figure out you know how do we introduce new music into you know, our lives and i think what you have here is is a great way if you're for the listeners out there if you're thinking you know i want some new music check out this album because i really think as we've been talking about it starts off strong you know it carries on through and strong and you talked about touring how is that going for you right now um, you know, we've had a really great summer. We played a bunch of great festivals and toured out to California and Washington a little bit and we're planning on going back there. It's been great. I mean, the summer was full of so much energy. People were just craving live music and interaction with other humans and all of our shows had this like extra layer of excitement on them. And I think, you know, we inevitably reached some sort of burnout mode by the end of August. So we felt that a little bit. But at the same time, we were just really grateful to be on the road again. And when you're on the road, is there a jokester amongst the band? Is there someone that's playing practical jokes? Is that you? No, that's not me. I would say Matt and Ethan and Josh are just constantly joking. Like there's never a serious moment in the band, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. And I imagine that comes out in your show. Yeah, we keep it we keep it lighthearted, that's for sure. And I guess as you're merging in the new music, how has that gone with your live set? Are you playing a lot of tracks off the new album or is it you kind of fluctuating? How does that work for you when you're trying to put together your live set? Who's in charge of that? Is that Matt? <laughs> no, um we all we all talk about it for sure. Um and we had a couple big festivals in July and so all of June we were practicing different set lists that we thought might work because at a festival you have 45 minutes to 60 minutes to play your set and so it's like okay we have to take our last eight years of music 
and play what we want to play. And but also that maybe the audience wants to hear. We mostly chose songs from the new album. And then our most recent one before that was called Sweet Little Lies. And so we chose maybe four of those tunes. And then there's like one song in particular that we wrote years ago called Devils on My Side. And that one just gets played at almost every show because the fans know it and they love it. So yeah, this year, I think we all were so collectively proud of all of the songs that ended up on our new album, Through the Smoke, that we really wanted to highlight them in our set, even if people didn't know them super well yet. I think the whole theme of that album and the reason we called it Through the Smoke is because we felt like we went through quite a big transformation as a band through the pandemic, and we made it to the other side. There was an amount of resilience that you had to have being a band and losing your job for a year and a half. and that came through in the recording. And so we were just excited to share with our fans the new us, I guess, the sort of evolution that happened to us. And that really comes through on the new songs. So that became the focus for what we played. Yeah, I mean, it's it sounds like you've really embraced it. It sounds like the process has kind of changed the way you look at life. And you talked about your music. And for all the fans out there that haven't heard your music how would you describe it i mean i hear americana come up often sure we are americana folk we're using bluegrass and folk instrumentation so a lot of people jump to calling us bluegrass which is fine it it, you know that gives some sort of idea of what we sound like but we're very untraditional when it comes to bluegrass so that's why we've been leaning on americana folk genres um we've got a banjo player, but he plays claw hammer banjo, which is untraditional for bluegrass. And we've got sort of these like rock inspired choruses that are big and sing alongable, I guess. And it's high energy, but you know, layered with some of the more intimate songs. And yeah, definitely folk rock, folk Americana, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I know. We like all of it. <laughs> That's good. And I know you said everyone is bringing something to the table when it comes to the songwriting, Mm -hmm. but for yourself, what were some of your influences? Oh, I had so many influences that I realize all played a part in me coming to the folk genre. But, um, you know, my parents introduced me to a lot of the 60s and 70s music. I listened to a lot of like Jackson Brown and Neil Young and... Um, as far as female artists, I my mom took me to an Alison Krauss and Union Station concert when I was 14, and that was very influential for me just as a young you know teenager to see a concert like that. Yeah, I listened to all sorts of people, Patty Griffin, Emmylou Harris. Most recently, when I started the band eight years ago, I was listening to more contemporary groups like The Steel Drivers and Trampled by Turtles and Old Crow Medicine Show, Devil Makes Three. <laughs> the list goes on. <laughs> Your playlist is probably rather lengthy. And <laughs> was it at that time at that Allison Krauss show? Was that when you decided that you wanted to start singing? Is that the moment? No, I had been singing, you know, through high school. I was in choir and um, I was taking voice lessons. And so later when I was a senior in high school was when I started to take guitar lessons because I really just for fun, I wanted to be able to play and sing at the same time. And that 
carried through college just for fun. I was playing with friends and towards the end of it started playing with my roommate just again for fun. We did a couple open mics. And so when I moved to Bozeman, Montana, where I live, um, I really missed that. And that's when I ended up finding someone to play in a folk duo with and eventually joined up with Matt to start the bird dogs because I really just missed playing with friends and I had no idea it would become my career. The moment that I knew I wanted to do it full time was when we played this festival in Montana called Red Ants Pants Music Festival. And we played on the main stage and just had this overwhelming response from the crowd and I just kind of had that light bulb moment of like, oh my gosh, I don't think this is a hobby anymore. Like, I think this is something I'm going to do. And the next weekend I saw Emmylou Harris play and I was just like sitting in the crowd, like crying (laughs) while she played because I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, I love her and I want to be doing that. So it was sort of like within that week I had like this mind blowing, like this is, I'm completely diverging from what I thought I was going to do in my life. And that's the path I chose. <laughs> yeah, it is amazing that moment. And it sounds like then connecting with, I guess, I'll call it the, the rest of the bird dogs that yeah, totally. really took it to the next level. Yeah, I was very excited. I actually got had the opportunity to meet Emmy Lou Harris in July this year. So I told her that story and she just, yeah, it was amazing. I, we played the same festival as her up in Northern Montana and I was like so nervous and shaking and my mom was there kind of like helping me (laughs) tell her I'm like 33, just like shaking, talking to her. It was very amazing to get to tell her that she was so influential as a musician. It had to be so surreal. Yeah, I told my mom I think I blacked out during the conversation. So she was like, what did I even say? Um, well, that's anyway. that's amazing you can share that moment with your mom. And because obviously she's been there for your whole journey the entire way. So it sounds like, you know, it's kind of um, one of those that goes in your picture book. Oh, yeah. Our moms are very proud of us. <laughs> they're the number one fans. <laughs> they're They're out there in the front row. It sounds like with this album, you know, you've put a lot of work into it. It sounds like you're out there on the road and it's for everybody to find more about Laney Lou and the bird dogs. Where do they go? I mean, I imagine it's out there, but is there one direct place that everyone should go to check it out? Our website is the most comprehensive, you know, place to go as far as tour dates. And, you know, from there, it'll link you to social media and Spotify and whatnot. Uh, so our website is just www.laneyloueandthebirddogs.com. But as far as like, if you're wanting to keep in real time of what we're doing, we do keep up with our Instagram and Facebook pages every day. So if you're wanting the real time, hey, we're going here tomorrow kind of information and silly photos, then that's the place to follow us. Everyone wants silly photos. I mean, that's, right. <laughs> that's just how it goes these days. Totally, I know. The more silly, the better it does. Is there an Emmylou Harris photo up there of you together? Um, I think there's one of me with her band. I was so nervous I didn't end up getting a photo with her, which I Next time. But I didn't want to bother her, so I kind of ran away and then hung out with her band for a little bit. <laughs> I've had similar moments. Um, but yeah. 
I know you just kind of don't know what you're doing until afterwards you realize you probably made a fool of yourself, but it's fine. And they probably um, get it all the but time. Yeah, we our website our website has a merch uh, merchandise store as well. So if you want to buy the album, or we have vinyl coming out in the next couple weeks of the new album, and we have vinyl from Sweet Little Lies, so all of that is on our website as well. Yeah, you talk about vinyl; it's such so amazing how much a resurgence has happened with that, and it's just fun. I think a lot of people just want that physical copy and why not go for the largest physical copy available of vinyl LP? <laughs> yeah, it's flashier to just show everybody your awesome album cover. <laughs> Have you had anybody bring that to your show for autographs yet? Yeah. yeah. A lot of times when they buy them at the show, we'll sign the vinyl right there. But yeah, I love I love being able to see the album artwork on such a big canvas on vinyl because when it's on a CD, you know, it's all condensed. And when it's on Spotify or iTunes, it's very condensed and small. So I really like vinyl as like an artistic kind of object. It's more, I don't know, it's just a tangible. It's like reading a book versus reading it on your Kindle app or whatever you know it's like nice to like hold it and see it and like know that the artist like did all of that artwork and everything very intentionally um so yeah i'm i'm super down with the vinyl revolution <laughs> so so you have a collection um i do have a collection still working on my speaker situation right now though we moved and so i gotta get that going it's important so that i can actually listen to it. <laughs> that's yeah that's the next step it sounds like your true colors have shown through on the album that was recently released. It sounds like you're having a great time on tour. And it just sounds like overall, everything that you're doing right now is making you joyful. And you could definitely hear that through the music. And it definitely sounds like your fans are reacting very well at the concerts. Yeah, no, it's been a great summer for us, for sure. So we're looking forward to touring more. We're going to head to the Northwest and to Colorado soon and hopefully make it to the Midwest later this spring. If you're out there, come see us. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, <laughs> come see Lainey Lou and the Bird Dogs. Lena, it was great having you on the podcast and we appreciate you sharing your story. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. All right, everybody. Welcome back from the interview. I hope you enjoyed it. That was fascinating, Ray, how she talked about that she had the opportunity to finally meet Emmy Lou Harris. And it sounded like you noticed listening to uh, their music that her voice had a similar quality. Yeah, the very first time I, I, li I mean, I literally put on a song and within five seconds, the first name that came to mind was Emmy Lou Harris. And I mean, it's not the only comparison there. It's certainly not the only influence there. But it's funny that that you that it would get mentioned in the interview because that's the name that instantly comes to mind when I hear when I hear her when I hear Lana sing. Yep. Yeah, it, it was interesting how she said that she had to have her mom basically speak for her when she finally <laughs> met her at a festival recently. And it, it, that does happen though. I mean, I I've met some celebrities. You know, the one time I remember I got into an elevator with a colleague and Hulk Hogan was in there. <laughs> and growing up on Hulk Hogan, you know, you know, brother, you know, you know, right. Take your vitamins and say your prayers. And I was just like, I, 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 and the only thing I could say was at the time, his daughter had a single out. She was becoming a pop yeah, singer. I remember so I said, that. Hey, right. I was like, great song. He's like, you know, brother, we're really proud of her. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, and he had his, his fanny pack on and, 
he got off the elevator heading to the front desk because I guess we were coming down. Uh-huh. And my colleague goes, we got to get a picture with him. So she goes up, taps him on the shoulder. He's like, oh, yes, little lady. And he's like, you know, can I get a picture? So he flipped around, took a picture with her. And I still was just like, I, I, I didn't know what to right. say. I didn't say, hey, can I have a picture with you? I have no proof of this. You right. know, other than I was the guy that shot the photo with <laughs> my colleague and Hulk Hogan. I could ask her and say, right? And there's plenty of other times. And it, it yep. is true when you, you meet the person that you've watched or idolized or whatever yep. word that is, how you just freeze up. I mean, that's just a human nature thing. Yeah, it, it does happen. The one that comes to my mind uh, years ago, my wife and I went to see Richard Marks at Hershey Park in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And it was this, you know, this little venue in this amusement park and her and park in Hershey. And so it was, you know, small audience. Uh, he, he did two like half hour sets and we actually sat, sat in the back to watch the one. And then I sat up front for the second one. And, you know, Richard Marks is right there. And then as we're, we're walking out after the second set, he comes, he's coming by on a golf cart. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm literally, I don't know, six, eight feet from Richard Marks. Right. You know, and, and he's coming by on this golf cart and I, I'm like, yeah, great job, Richard. You know? And afterwards my wife is like, well, of course he did a great job and he knows that you don't need to tell him that, you know? And it was like, yeah, I guess you're right. You know, it's like, you don't even know what to say. Right. You kind of, you know, you just, uh, okay. Yeah. Great job. You know? Cause it's just the first thing that kind of smacks into your mind and then you blurt it out and then you're like, well, Maybe I could have said something better, like, you know, really enjoyed right. it or something, you know, but you don't, you don't think about it. You're right there. There's that element of meeting somebody or seeing somebody, or getting a chance to talk to somebody that you really looked up to, idolized, whatever, you know, and we, you know, you know, my basic songwriting uh, development in, in high school was connected right back to Richard Marks. And so that was a you know big moment. And there you go. I know. It, the funny thing is, so this is back in 2004, I purchased like this VIP package for Van Halen. It was like right when they got back with Sammy Hagar and I, I had like second row seats and they did, Eddie Van Halen gets out there and does this like little warm up. And at the time I had like this badge around my neck and I was trying to get all the autographs. He was standing in front of me and he was looking for autographs and I was just like frozen. And he's <laughs> the only autograph on the back of this badge. I got Sammy Hagar, Alex Van Halen, Mike Anthony, but I do not have Eddie Van Halen's uh, signature. Uh, and yep. I just, I froze. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. It's, well, and, and like you said, you know, uh, Lana, the same thing, right? You know, you meet this, this person who's been so instrumental mm-hmm. in, in your music, who you kind of, again, like I said, I, that's the first name that came to mind when I heard, heard her singing. Right. And, and you meet this person and it's just so easy to, to just go into, to melt into the ground mode and you just can't, mm-hmm can't even believe that this is happening and yeah you know shows the sort of influence that music has yeah and she mentioned her first concert was mm-hmm. Allison Krauss when she mm-hmm. was you know, 14 and she's like wow I, I think this is something that I'm interested in I think I told you my first concert was Weird Al what was yours I always forget yeah. it was Richard Marks <laughs> it was there you go you see <laughs> So, not the not the Hershey one. You're you know twenty years before that. Yeah, Alison Krauss really. I mean, that's uh, it would it would make sense that that she was inspired by Alison Krauss because there's a 
you can hear that influence, uh, Krauss's influence in the Bird Dogs music as well. Yeah, definitely enjoy the music. So if you're looking for something new, as we said, check out Laney and the Bird Dogs and their latest release, which sounds like it was recorded during the pandemic, but they said, surprisingly, not. I mean, it was recorded during the pandemic, but most of the songs on the album were actually inspired before the pandemic. There was a couple that were. So once again, Ray, this is one of those albums that was recorded during the pandemic. And, you know, I think it's really interesting how bands evolved during this time and we're going to continue seeing a lot of new music coming out yep yeah and the title really you would think oh that's a reference to the pandemic through the smoke but as you said they they said it's not but it is it's that you know we're i think we're going to see i think you're right this flood of music that's going to come out from various um bands you know various styles various parts of the country where folks were in lockdown and they're putting this stuff together and coming up with stuff and you know, we talked about that. I think we've talked about before that idea that, you know, to some people it really zapped their creativity and to other people it made them more creative than ever because they could just sit at home and focus. And so here we yeah. are with, a, you know, another, um, again, not a, not pandemic inspired, but certainly something that, that speaks to the pandemic experience. Just look, I mean, Elton John just released a new album. He's like, I never thought I'd record an album during the pandemic, but I did. And now he has a top 40 hit and i believe ray i I know you are the top 40 master but if he does score a top you know a top hit here coming up with this latest duet with dua lipa does he break some records i don't know i mean it's not a top 40 hit yet so it's i just i literally just just looked at the you know the hot 100 I don't know if he'd break a record or not. Let's see, 70, early 70s. I mean, it'd be, you know, sixth decade of 70, 90. Yeah, sixth decade with a with a hit. You know, I don't know if McCartney's got that. No, McCartney wouldn't have that. And, and, well, he would because of the Kanye West and... 60s. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. You know, there, there are some artists who may have that. It, it, it's very likely. I, uh, I just don't know that specific one. Um, but it's certainly something that if anybody's done before, hardly anybody's done before. You know, we'll have to see what kind of airplay and, sale and hits that uh, mm-hmm. that duet gets. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, it's Elton has kind of in some ways reinvented himself a little bit. He's gotten he, he got play, you know, when it when the, the, the film came out, uh, the Rocket Man, Rocket oh, yeah. Man, they had that that tune by the guy that played him in the film, that duet with him and, and Elton that you know it didn't wasn't a big hit but i think it was an adult contemporary hit and and so now they've got this thing with with dulupa and if if i'm remembering right i mean it it's taking one of his old songs right you know uh, sacrifice it two yeah, of them and they, they're putting them together and then uh yeah two of them and they're putting them together into this new one and taking uh words from the song and then you know making it into this um this new one and it, you know and they're playing off of um yeah. i mean Dua Lipa's popularity right now, you know? Um, yeah, Cold Heart. Exactly. My Cold, Cold Heart, you know, Pardon by You. You know, I, remember, I can remember those lyrics from 30 years ago. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, so, once again, another <laughs> pandemic, uh, you know, inspired chart topper that I think is is going to move up the chart because it's, it's Dua Lipa. I mean, she's one of the hardest artists. Yep. Check out the new album. I hope you 
enjoyed this interview, once again, make sure to follow us on our blog and also subscribe to our podcast. And thank you for listening from everybody here at Tunesmate. Once again, my name is Mark. And I'm Ray. And we will see you next time. 